Hey, hey, everybody. So my guest today is Arvid Kahl. He is the author of Zero to Sold and founder of Feedback Panda, which he recently sold. This year, he started a new SaaS company called Permanent Link, and he's also writing his second book in public. I am thrilled to have him on today. Arvid, are you ready to take us to the top? Oh, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> my pleasure. So normally we have a sort of default first question. But I guess there's a lot to talk about today. Yeah. So let's just start with the beginning. Can you tell us more about who you are and the journey of your previous business, Feedback Panda, which you've sold and then wrote a book about called Zero to Sold? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, I can go back as far as you like. I was born in 1985. No, no don't worry. Um, I'm, I'm a software engineer. That's what I've been for most uh of my life. I'm also an entrepreneur and a writer, which have been more recent developments in my life. But yeah, I've, I've been building software projects ever since I got a computer at age like 12 or something. I've been like just really interested in automating things that I didn't want to do by hand. And that was already very early learning that computers and technology would allow me to do that. So I went into software engineering. Um, I went to university, failed a couple of times. Uh, didn't really get a degree, but still was always working on interesting projects with interesting people. Um, worked for a couple of SaaS companies and VC funded stuff in, in Silicon Valley and more traditionally funded ones here in Germany where I live. I live in Berlin right now and I used to work for a lot of companies here in the rest of the country. And um, back in 2017, I was working for a traditional software engineering business, you would call it, I guess, in, in Hamburg, Germany, which is two and a half hours by train from Berlin. And I was working part-time there, part-time remotely from, from our apartment here in Berlin in the city. So I, I commuted a lot. And while I was commuting, uh, two and a half hours for a couple days a week adds up to quite some time. I was listening to a lot of podcasts and read a lot of books and indie hacking and building businesses, bootstrapping and building SaaS things. And uh, I've got more and more concrete that I really wanted to do this uh, right. And I've had a couple of experiences with a couple of friends. I built a couple of businesses that never really went anywhere. We didn't really have any entrepreneurial experience. We were good at product, but we didn't really know how to do the rest of the business. So they all kind of failed. But now I had all this kind of this knowledge and applied it to a problem which we felt, and by we, I mean myself and my girlfriend, Danielle. She was a, an English online teacher at the time. Uh, she worked from home. This was long before Corona, but she was kind of bound to our apartment because she has had a leg injury and she couldn't go out, couldn't do anything outside. So she needed a job she could do from home. So she was teaching kids through the internet, um, teaching them to speak English as a second language, mostly kids in China for a Chinese company. And she was teaching a lot of hours in the day, often 10 hours of just straight online teaching, which is a lot of work. But those companies required her to actually put in student feedback that the parents of the kid would read so they would understand where the kid is in the curriculum and the schedule and what they could like, train at home, these kind of things. And that feedback took a lot of time. It often added two hours in her day. Additionally, that was unpaid time and that really sucked, right? If you already teach for 10 hours, you don't want to spend two more hours every day on something that you don't even get paid for, but you had to do it. So Danielle at some point developed 
her own little system of using text fragments to make this easier. Like all these English teachers would essentially teach the same lessons over and over again to different kids. So you would kind of say the same things every single time you would describe what you did in that particular lesson. So she had her own little fragments in a work document or an Excel sheet somewhere, and she just copied and pasted that together to make it faster. And if you have any inclination of the mind of a software engineer, the moment you see certain things that are repeatedly done, copy and pasted from an Excel sheet, you kind of think, okay, I could automate that. I could probably build something from that. And that's exactly what happened with us. She envisioned a product. I built it. She used it. It worked well for her. And we knew that there was a market of thousands of teachers because the company that she worked for was already um, hiring a lot of those uh, North American and and British, just native English speakers to teach Chinese kids. So we started putting the product into the communities that we were already part of uh, on account of her being a teacher. And it just grew from there. It organically grew. People started picking it up. They started amplifying our messages. They started talking about it to new teachers that they um, found on Facebook groups. It just was a lot of word of mouth marketing that really started from one Facebook post that Danielle put in there a week after we launched the product. And the product grew from zero, like we, we bootstrapped the whole thing, to $55,000 in monthly recurring revenue within two years. That was like mid-2019. And that was also when we were approached by Showswift Capital. That's a, a North American private equity company or private equity uh, firm. And they run SaaS businesses, they buy them and they can continue running them and make money of those. So they were interested in Feedback Panda, obviously, because it was a great business. It added to their existing portfolio. Some of those companies they had purchased prior were also ed tech, education technology companies. And yeah, so we decided we would sell and and we did sell for uh, what I'm allowed to say a life-changing amount of money. And ever since then, I had nothing else to do anymore because we were running this business with just two people, Danielle and I, and we had a couple, like 5,000 customers in the end, which is a lot of customers. And we had all these systems built to automate customer service and onboarding and you know all the things that you have in a SaaS, but it was still a lot of work and we were essentially working 24-7. So once we sold the company, we fell into this void of not having anything to do because our product was taken by the people who acquired it and we hired our own replacements pretty much so all of a sudden we had nothing to do and that's when i started writing i started a blog called the bootstrap founder and i just wrote an article every single week started a newsletter to hold myself accountable started a podcast to hold myself accountable to consistently supply new things every single week and i've been doing this for now over a year every every week uh, something goes out i think i'm in newsletter episode 56 something at this point and people started noticing i grew my following on twitter and at some point people started talking to me telling me hey this thing that you have on your blog like if, if i could give you ten dollars for like a printout version of that i would be super happy and uh, I considered, yeah, okay, this might be actually more than just a couple of blog posts. This might be a book. So I wrote the book and I self-published it back in, in June 2020. Um, it was a smashing success. People immediately started buying it the first day. I had like 350 purchases within the first 24 hours, 2,000 within the first month. Um, it was really, really amazing. Um, that just shows you the, the power of a community, which I'd slowly built up over this 
I guess half year of consistently writing articles and putting out my podcasts and stuff. And yeah, uh, that book was well received. And now I'm writing the next one because one particular part of Zero to Sold, which is about the whole bootstrapping journey, like from the, I want to be a bootstrapper to I'm now a successfully exited bootstrapper. Like uh, that whole journey has a lot of moving parts. And the first and initial part is getting all the preparation, right? Like finding your audience, finding that critical problem, building a solution and then or envisioning a solution and then building a product. So I'm now focusing on the audience part in a book that I call Audience First, which is what I think, right? Audience should always come first, both in terms of building an audience, building a following and putting the audience first. And yeah, that's what I'm currently working on. And that's the journey of the last like three years that already takes that long to explain. I hope that gives you a good some good insight into what I'm doing. Whoa, I have to take this in for a second. <laughs> This is such an amazing journey. Yeah. So there's currently something really interesting going on because you're building a new product that's really coming from a scratching my own itch perspective after your recent experience with books and I guess book links in specific. Can you tell us more about your newest endeavor? Right. So yeah, I've been writing a lot. I just uh, talked about this quite extensively and in publishing or trying to self-publish Zero to Sold, I noticed a couple of problems. Like I, I put the book out. Uh, nobody really cares about links in um, paperback books. Like people don't click stuff in on paper, obviously, because they can't. And the fewest people actually type in a link, so really doesn't make a make a big difference there. But the moment you have an ebook somewhere, either as an EPUB or a mobile file for Kindle or a PDF or something like that, people would click on stuff. And I noticed that in my ebook, the, the one that was on the Kindle store on, on Amazon, people were clicking on links and they started failing because the blog that I was linking to had moved to a different host and the link didn't work anymore. It was a 404 or some sort of error. And then the people, instead of talking to me about it, they reported this to Amazon because the Kindle makes it easy to apparently to report um, a broken link. So Amazon then flagged my book with containing errors, right? That's That was on the product page was, this is a book that contains errors. Do you really want to buy it? And obviously I didn't want my book to contain errors. So I updated the links. And then a week later, the next link broke. So I had to release a new version of the book. It was like cat and mouse situation. I had to chase the links in my book. And I thought, this can't be the, the way you solve this. So I looked into how people use links in books because obviously this is my first book I ever wrote and published. So I had no idea how, how to do most of those things. So I just went with what I felt was right. But apparently there there is the, the, the common way that most people who have some sort of technical skill how to deal with it is that they put some sort of link redirection on their own blog domain or on the a domain that they buy for the book, right? Um, they have, a, I don't know, a link to, let's say, the intercom, the, the communication tool. And instead of linking to the intercom blogs, to intercom.com slash blog slash whatever, they put a redirection on their own domain, which in my case would be avidkal.com slash intercom, right? So if people would then click on avidkal.com slash intercom, a domain that I control, click on the link, I would automatically forward them there. But that requires a lot of engineering. I need a domain. I need a system that can redirect links. And I would always need to check, is the link still working? Can I, can I actually still reliably redirect people? And there's a lot of work. And most people don't care. Most people, or not, wouldn't say don't care. They don't care to set up something like this. They rather release a new version of the book. And I didn't want to do that. So I built a system that would allow me to put 
permanent links, and that's also the, the name of the, uh, the, the SaaS is permanent link, into my book that would either go to a domain that I purchased called permanent.link slash some link, or I could put my own custom domain into the system and forward links automatically from my custom domain to permanent link, which would then take care of the actual redirection. So I essentially built a tool that I needed for my book, um, both for zero to sold in retrospect and for audience first in the future, because I want to put a lot of interesting links in my new book, but I want to make sure that if they break, there's a system in place that would take care of them. And not only redirect people to the link because if there's a broken link and you redirect people to a broken link well it's still going to be a broken link right but what i'm now i'm building is a system that detects if a link breaks and if it does redirect people to an archived version of the page so that no matter if the link works or it doesn't work and there's a lot of link rots like on average every link in a book rots within two years like half of the links in the book are not functional within two years after publishing. So that happens all the time for every single author. But I want a system and I built a system that will make this a non-issue because it will automatically redirect to a web archive version or whatever you want it to redirect to at this point. So that grew out of my own frustration. And I've been really slowly building this. Like first off, it's called Permanent Link. This is supposed to be a project that's going to be around for a while, right? So you, um, I want to make sure that it actually works before people start using it extensively. Right, because it's supposed to be stable. So I don't want to just like hype it up and then have it break and thousands of people have links that don't work. That would be kind of anticlimactic for a product like this. But I'm using it for my own stuff. Like I'm actually dog fooding my own product here. I'm using my own SaaS to put links into my own books. And once that works, I'll grow it further. I've already been talking to a lot, so a lot of interesting founders slash writers, because that's the kind of niche that I'm from. So I understand their motivations best, but I'm expanding this into regular writers and um, book distributors and publishers and that kind of stuff. See where people are interested, but that's the current phase that I'm in is I'm kind of still dogfooding it to myself. And a couple people have signed up and are checking it out, but there's really not much more than that. I'm taking it very slowly. That is also yeah, possible because I sold a business last year. There's no need for me to really push it. Right? I can actually take some time to experiment and to to validate, and I don't need to like throw all my effort into this because I also still need to write on on the side and produce my my weekly content. But permanent link is here to stay, and I'm I'm slowly growing the business. Yeah, it makes perfect sense to build a solution for this problem, indeed. So, what is or will be the business model of the product? Do you have any idea about that already? Will it be a SaaS, for example? I think so. I mean, it, it provides consistent value and consistent value usually is best compensated with a consistent revenue stream as well, right? So you have a SaaS with a monthly fee. Um, if, if you use Dropbox to host your files, you hope that your files are going to be around forever and you pay a monthly fee for Dropbox and permanent link is pretty much the same, right? If, if you If you look at the existing competition in the field, link shortening like Bitly or other services like this or link branding services, which is slightly different. They all have monthly um, recurring revenue business models. And I think I want to have the same. First off, because that's the one I know and the one I like. It's the most stable kind of revenue you can generate, particularly now that I had an info product and I know how volatile sales are and how how much marketing you actually need to do to to 
consistently produce sales in an info product world. I do want to see another SaaS business somewhere in my portfolio just to have more a more reliable recurring uh, income stream. And I, I guess um, if you look at this as a SaaS, it's really not that complicated. It's an infrastructure product and it doesn't need to be complicated, but it's more an insurance feature than anything else. Right? It's not a product you use every single day. For an author, you probably go into a permanent link once you write a book or while you write the book. The moment you've actually published it, the link automation magic will take care of all these little problems. But you will need to know that it will take care of these problems. So it's like an insurance. You pay every month to not be surprised by something breaking. So a SaaS slash insurance kind of model. I really like that analogy of consistent value. Now, let's talk a bit about your experience as a founder. How did you get your first users to your product Feedback Panda? And do you think this experience is going to help you with your newest product, Permanent Link? Absolutely. <laughs> so answering the second part first, always funny. Yeah, I, I absolutely think that the way we did it at Feedback Panda informs how I'm doing this now because that was a super successful way of doing this. When we started... Um, Opening up the product, which we had tested in-house, kind of, like, and and that that is literally in-house because it was in in this apartment. Um, we just really started slowly talking about it on the social media groups that we were part of. I already alluded to this earlier, right? Danielle put a, a link to the product into a post where somebody actually asked, "So how do you guys?" Asking the other online teachers in this Facebook group for online teachers, they would ask, how do you guys deal with feedback? This is so much. I, I don't know how to deal with this. And oftentimes people would respond to this saying, well, I have my own system or, hey, look at this Google Sheets. A couple of teachers are already sharing their own templates or stuff like that. But we responded with, well, we use Feedback Panda. We, we built this and for this exact problem and then put a link in there. So people would click on the link and check it out. We had, I think, 80 signups on that first day just of interested teachers in a niche kind of tribal community where they trusted the other people in the community to not give them spammy links, but actually meaningful, interesting um, stuff to, to look at. So we had a, a good number of signups there and people started using our product. And since we from the beginning started giving people some some value in the product that they could immediately use to generate feedback for a certain amount of like popular classes that they would teach. They they were kind of hooked from the beginning. We had a lot of conversion, pretty high conversion all throughout the, the history of the product. I think some 35% of all people who trialed eventually converted, which for the first day in a group of 80 people boils down to, let's say, 25 people who then a month later turned into paying customers. That was really cool. Um, so we, that was all the marketing we did, that kind of marketing, like really going into the communities, responding to people's uh, call for helps, essentially, and giving them an opportunity to, to converse about it. We didn't just like throw it in as a post. We always did it in a comment, right? We always reacted to other people's pleas and then kind of plucked our product which we were also using. Danielle was actually using this herself, right? She could say, well, I'm actually using Feedback Panda. Also, I made it, but, you know, I use it and I use it. And ever since I started using it, the two hours of feedback a day were, are now five minutes. That's what's happening to me. Try it out. And we were always honest 
about this. We never hid that we built this, but we, uh, and I think that was important too, because we kind of communicated that we were not a gigantic business. We were not a gigantic company building yet another product to siphon money of, of teachers who already don't have a lot of money and really don't have much of a budget for tools, right? We were clearly communicating, hey, we were online teachers too. We built this because we understand the needs and pains of this community, check it out. And that really gave us the opportunity to build community itself um, around our product. So we, we had a newsletter that we sent out every week with, I don't know, additional features we put in and interesting stories from the ad tech space. But one thing we did pretty early on was highlighting our own customers. So we started actually having the thing called VI Panda, the the like a very important panda because we were called Feedback Panda, right? And everybody was a panda. It's cute and people really liked it. So we would highlight one of our customers. We would send them an, e- an email, say, hey, we want to put you in the newsletter. What's your story? How did you get to teach English online? Like, where do you live? What's your family doing? Do you enjoy what you're doing? What would you do differently? Do you have any cool ideas? Do you want to share something with people? So every week we would send out a newsletter to our community with somebody in the community speaking to them, not just us. That had opening rates that were amazing because people love listening to stories about people like them by people like them. And so whatever we had to say in the actual newsletter was very welcome because it always came with a little heartwarming story about somebody they could relate to. And that that was how we, we consistently did our marketing. And that's what I'm doing right now as well with Permanent Link. First off, I'm in the communities. I'm in the author, in the writer community, in the founder writer community, which is literally Twitter, right? And I'm talking to lots of founders. I'm talking to lots of writers. They already understand that I'm also a writer, that I'm also a founder, somebody who understands their pain, somebody who understands their problems. And um, the, the marketing of the product itself, I'm not there yet, but I expect it to be quite the word of mouth marketing too, because there's a lot of community that is currently being established among writers. A lot of um, writing communities, writing circles, just groups of people who hang out and critique each other's works and are just people who know each other because they do exactly the same thing. And that's what I'm going to go for because I feel this is something that I'm building for one particular community. I know that other people could use it too, and maybe eventually will, but I think this is a product that starts in this community because this community understands the problem the best and needs a solution the most. So that's where I'm going. And I expect that the marketing efforts there will look similarly. I don't know it yet. This is something I have to validate and could invalidate. It could mean that I need to think up a different thing, but at least the the connections that I already have, the communities I'm already part of, those will be the first places where I will try to find my innovators and early adopter kind of customers. That's amazing. And I can definitely see why your next book is focused on audience. So back to the book Zero to Sold for a bit. I've read it as well, and I think it's very valuable to anyone starting in SaaS. So I'm actually recommending it to a lot of people. I'm curious, out of this whole process, what valuable lessons can you share in writing and self-publishing a book, and in particular, maybe with the influence of a platform like Gumroad? Hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, let me tell you this, that the publishing industry is ancient. Like the fact that we can actually upload books on Amazon as a PDF and they print it, that is novel. That is really new. Like print on demand for books is something that has hasn't been around for long and i'm 
I, I didn't know what I was getting into when I started thinking about self-publishing. I never really thought about actually publishing through a publisher because I thought, who would take my book? <laughs> you know, like I'm a, I'm a German, um, a non-native English speaker who doesn't have a writing background, doesn't have much of a professional background whatsoever. I'm a software engineer. I mean, I write for computers and I do that pretty well. And computers seem to understand what I'm telling them, but not people. So for a publisher, I would have been a big risk. So I decided to do self-publishing just really to also understand how it works and to, to learn how to do it because I'm excited to learn things and to see the problems in the niche, obviously, because that is always an opportunity. Like permanent link would not exist if I hadn't done this. Um, but yeah, I, I learned that it's very, very hard to, to get a book to a quality and a distribution channel where it actually is a good book, like comparable to books you buy in a bookstore or on Amazon, right? Like books that go through a publisher. And there's a lot of steps in there that make this complicated. Like the writing part, if you know what you're talking about, really isn't that hard. You just write and then you have a manuscript at some point and it's probably going to be really bad. And then you hopefully have somebody to help you edit it, right? Either a community, like I'm doing it with um, Audience First at this moment, or you have a professional editor, which I also did with Zero to Sold. I hired people on Readsy. Um, it's a platform for editors and proofreaders and cover designers, just everything surrounding the production of a book. Um, and they went through the book and pointed out, I think, like three and a half thousand mistakes that I made, which was fine. Uh, corrected all of those and there were pretty well but um there was a lot of like process problems there like like i said it's a really ancient thing editors there they expect you to use microsoft word so if you use markdown files because you're a software engineer or if you use i don't know something more, more fancy other data file formats that um are not word documents you're gonna have a bad time if you are working with people who expect that to be word so you know little problems that are interesting and kind of might or be looking for a solution somewhere but um, it's it's a lot of work, that part in particular. And then selling, and that's where, where Gumroad comes into play, is a whole other level. Because the moment you put a book on Amazon, well, you, you have a book on Amazon. You have it on maybe the US store, and you can, you can select which stores you want to sell it uh, to, like J Japanese, Amazon, British, German, French, Italian, Spanish. Um, what else is there? In, Indian... Indian um, Amazon, and, and that kind of concludes the list. There might be Mexican in there as well. And that's like eight or nine Amazon stores, and that's where you can sell it. But if you want to sell, say, in Brazil or in China or in Russia, you have a problem because Amazon KDP, the, the Kindle Direct Publishing Platform through which you can sell ebooks and print-on-demand books, they're limited, limited to a couple of Amazon stores. If I want to sell to, to people in Denmark, they often have to order in Germany or in France to get the book up there. And that is just really not great, right? And particularly with a Kindle, where you expect this to be a global system of ebooks that you can get anywhere, read anywhere, and, and buy anywhere. Well, you can't. Your Kindle is bound to one Amazon store. And if the Kindle book that you want to buy is not listed there, you're out of luck. So I looked for an alternative and found that in Gumroad, which is an amazing platform for any kind of digital content that you want to put out there. Um, I, I sold... I think to this point, I mean, I can actually check, but I think around like eight or nine thousand dollars worth of ebooks through Gumroad at this point to people all over the world. Like on the first day that I sold the book and um, where I published and released it, I think my, my biggest audience was Russians at that point. And then people from Afghanistan were like a close second. It was really interesting where people 
bought from that couldn't get the book through Amazon. So Amazon being the monopolist, the big player, they also lock you down. You don't really have much of a choice. Only recently has the book, and I, I mean the, the ebook, not not the, the physical book, trickled down into like the Singapore store and the, the Netherlands store. It takes a while for that to actually happen because Amazon doesn't do it automatically. But on Gumroad, it was there for everybody in the world to purchase at yeah, whatever time they want it and get any kind of format they want to put it on their Kindle or get a PDF or whatever. It just made it much easier to reach everybody. And particularly since we're talking about like bootstrap founders, people who want to change their lives, people who want financial independence, right? People who may not have lots of money or none at all, but still want to build a business. There's a lot of those people in countries that are not Great Britain or Germany or France, right? If you you go to Sri Lanka or if you if you look at like, I don't know South Africa or um, the Nordic countries or the, the South American countries, there's a lot of people in countries that don't have this um, the, the big stores and the, the big like global reach, but still need a good book to give them some sort of insight into a global phenomenon such as bootstrapping. And I was really happy that through Gumroad I could reach those people. Wow, thanks for the amazing insights, Arvid. Great tips on self-publishing a book here. Very valuable. Now, let's wrap it up with a lightning round of questions to inspire others. Before we dive into today's lightning round, let's hear a quick word from a sponsor. Do you want to build your product the best way possible? Listening to user feedback is one of the best ways to do just that. Upvoti provides you with feedback boards which you can use internally or share publicly with your users. It also includes a nifty product roadmap. You are getting a 10% discount when you try out their 14-day free trial and subscribe to one of their plans. Use promo code PIRATES and you are all set. Go to upvoti.com and start a 14-day free trial. Now, let's go back to the interview. What are some of your favorite apps and tools on your computer that you can't live without? <laughs> well, I would say Twitter at this point because I spend like eight hours a day on Twitter. <laughs> but I think um, a browser is, is the most wonderful thing. And Twitter is one of the websites I use most. But I think uh, you can do almost everything in a browser at this point, And it just opens up the world to me. So I, I would say, yeah, Firefox, Chrome, whatever you use. But a browser and Twitter in particular. What's your favorite app on your phone? Twitter as well? Ah, so maybe Candy Crush at this point. Yeah, I think Twitter. So, um, I mean, any, any client for Hacker News is also interesting because that's just a really nice source of information. You don't want to, want to follow all the discussions on Hacker News. I'm not necessarily a fan of that. But um, yeah, the the kind of um, Hacker News apps that I have, I think Twitter is also that. That's probably the app I spend most time on on my phone, yes. One question I am particularly interested in, you being an author, what is your favorite book, which you can also recommend to people that are either starting or about to start a SaaS? Oh man, there's so many and any answer omitting the others is like a half answer. But I think, let, let me just name three here because I, I have to. The first one is The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Like, that was motivational for me. It's kind of outdated in certain regards and it comes with a lot of, um, you, you should take not take all of the advice in there at, at like face value, but it's really, really insightful to, to get started. Second one is The E-Myth by Michael E. Gerber. 
the, the entrepreneurial myth kind of talks about the fact that if you know what you're doing, if you're good at the technical part of what you're doing, that's not enough to build a business. And he talks about what you actually need as well, which is being a visionary and a manager, but I don't want to take too much away. Great book. And the third one is Built to Sell by John Warlow, which talks about how to build a sellable company. And any business that works super well is sellable. And any sellable business also has to work super well. So you don't have to sell a sellable business. You could just keep it. But building it and figuring out what you need to do to get there, that's in Built to Sell. So those three. Great recommendations. What SaaS brand do you admire the most? Hmm. Any SaaS brand that is transparent and open and building in public. I uh, Basecamp, I guess, uh, if, if they can be called a SaaS brand, they, there's something else entirely in, in, in many ways. But um, I really like, like like what Basecamp is doing. And I think Transistor FM, Justin Jackson, and uh, his, his public persona and what he talks about is very important to the bootstrapping community as well. And Transistor is where I host my podcast. So, you know, every, every, every kind of SaaS brand and business that is open and part of the community that they're in. Those I really admire because they've understood what it means to solve people's problems. It's not just like taking money to sell software. It's like to be really helping and empowering other people. What is your favorite SaaS person to follow? Huh. Well, hmm, I already mentioned Justin. Can I can I say two more? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I, I guess Tyler Tringas is another one. Um, founder of Ernest Capital and um, founder and exiteer of... Um, what was what was his business? Store Mapper. He also sold to Showsurfed Capital, so I kind of like in, in an alumni situation with him. He, he's great. Then yeah, Justin Justin Jackson of Transistor FM. He's, he's somebody that I really really enjoy. And I guess Rob Walling, um, who is the mastermind behind MicroConf and Startups for the Rest of Us. Those three guys are just a never-ending source of insight and humility and joy and empowerment for the community. There you go. Well, thanks for your time today, Arvid. Finally, to conclude this interview, where can we learn more about you and all the things you're working on? Yeah, thanks. I, I had a wonderful time as well. It's always flying by so fast. Um, you can find me on Twitter. Like I said, eight hours a day. So you likely catch me um, there uh, at Arvid Kahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-E-H-L. Um, the book, Zero to Sold, is on zerotosoldbook.com. Audience first, if you're interested in joining the alpha reader list is on audiencefirst.link um, and anything else yeah just go to twitter find my profile and you find my blog and permanent link and stuff there but yeah twitter is cool thanks for listening to this awesome episode of the SaaS Pirate Show we hope you enjoyed it if you do please do give us a review to help us get the podcast out to more people. If you are into SaaS, please come and join the awesome SaaS Pirates Facebook group to connect with like-minded people. Without further ado, I hope to see you again next time. Take care.